0: I want to start off today telling you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Do you know Bonhoeffer? He wrote a book that was popularly titled Cost of Discipleship, but in German it was just Discipleship, and so a newer, better translation is out there now that just goes under the title Discipleship. Uh, Bonhoeffer, being German, was disappointed in the Lutheran church that he saw himself- around him in pre-World War II Germany. Uh, he was there, the height of the Weimar Republic, Uh, before Hitler comes to power. And he looked around, and what he saw was a very liberal but very decadent society. And he was extremely disappointed with the church at that place, and with the leadership of the church, and how little anyone seemed to want to follow Christ. And so he starts off his book, Discipleship, which is a call to just that, Discipleship, uh, grieving that the Reformation, in his eyes, you know, it was, it was Martin Luther who, who came to believe this gospel, and Bonhoeffer liked Luther a lot. He so said Luther was absolutely right in reclaiming this gospel of salvation by grace through faith. That the grace of God is freely given by God to all of us. But what Bonhoeffer grieved is he saw the outcome of the Reformation as not people believing in that gospel like Luther did, but a lot of secular-minded people doing a math calculation in which, at the time, that medieval uh, Catholic church was selling grace, was selling indulgences uh, and forgiveness for sins. And there were a bunch of people who wanted to be right with God but weren't necessarily interested in following Christ who simply looked around and did a calculation and said, well, the Catholic church, the grace is too expensive. Now, how much is it going to cost me to buy enough indulgences uh, to get myself out of purgatory faster? And then Martin Luther, what are you saying? You're saying it's free? All right, I'm a Lutheran now. But without changing their life at all. And while Bonhoeffer liked Luther quite a bit, he says people took this as an excuse to just go about buying cheap grace, a grace that cost them nothing and itself was then worth nothing. They they understood wrongly Luther's message that they could simply have the forgiveness of God and not change a thing in their life. And we all do this. We live between these two dynamics of sometimes looking like legalists trying to earn our salvation by keeping laws as precisely as we can, and other times saying, "Ah, I'm forgiven, I'm good, and not in any way endeavoring to follow Christ. Where the true gospel is that Christ said, salvation is by grace through faith, but he also said, follow me. The call of the gospel is that our sins are forgiven by the work of Christ on the cross. So the work has already been done and there's nothing left for us to contribute to it. But the call of Christ for you today is not just to believe, but to follow him as well. Uh, Two Sundays ago, I shared with you an illustration uh, from the Scottish pastor Alistair Begg, where he was he was making a joke uh, about the thief on the cross and saying, you know, I wonder how that worked out for him. What would that have been like when he arrived in heaven? And perhaps there's some angel at the gate saying to this thief on the cross, okay, well, what'd you do? How'd you get in here? <laughs> the thief's saying, I, mean, I don't know. What do you know about salvation? Mm-hmm. What, what about soteriology? What do you know about the Lord's Supper and baptism? I don't know about any of that. I just know that the guy on the cross next to me said I could come here, and that's it. And it's so powerful. It's funny, but it's so powerful because it's so true. Salvation comes by the work of Christ on the cross without any contribution from us. But that very same Jesus Christ has a call for you today, and the call is follow me. And if you want Christ just to save you, but not to be the Lord of your life, if you want a Savior, but not a Lord, someone to deliver you, but then leave you alone, then you won't have either from Christ. He is both Savior and Lord, or he is neither. Because the same one who says, your sins are forgiven, is the same one who says, take up your cross and follow me. This is how we come to the Lord's Supper. When Bonhoeffer was grieving the cheap grace that he saw all around him, people saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, of course, I'll be in heaven, I'm Lutheran, it's, it's good. You know, God, Christ already did it. I, I live however I want to, and then I go and ask for forgiveness, and we're good to go. When Bonhoeffer was grieving this sort of thing, at his time, we see that you should grieve this at all times. This tendency has never gone away. And so what does Dietrich Bonhoeffer offer as a solution? The rest of his book, Cost of Discipleship, follows the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to explain passage by passage, exactly like we're going to do today, what God wants from us and how Jesus teaches us. So you'll recall last week, Jesus said, you know, don't think that I've come to abolish the law gets to that Bonhoeffer point. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I'm not here to tell you that there's no rules. Rather, I'm calling you all the more to follow and obey the word of the Lord. We talked about how we're not under the law of Moses any longer. Uh, That was for a time, for a purpose for Israel, and we're not under it. But it doesn't keep us from having to follow Christ and obey the rule of Christ. It's just that the law of Moses is no longer our law. Now our law as Christians is Christ himself. He is our rule and our law. Uh, following him and obeying him is how we know what the good life is and what God wants for us. So, when Christ, starting today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, we're going to begin a section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so, you've heard this, but what I'm really going to tell you is this. In the next few weeks, for this, the rest of this chapter, what we get is Jesus saying, here's what you heard, here's the law, but let me tell you the proper interpretation of it. He's saying the Pharisees, they never interpreted these laws properly. They took the law of Moses and they interpreted it in such a situation that they wouldn't have to actually obey it the way God wanted them to obey it, but they could obey it in a way they wanted to obey it. And Jesus is saying in each passage... This week and for the next few weeks, you've heard it said this, but let me tell you the right interpretation of God's law and what it really means. And so if Christ is going to give you a sampling of what it means to live the Christian life and obey God properly, what do you think are the most important things that he's going to address? Let's say, since this is just a sampling, he's picked out just some of the most important, pertinent things. What things do you think Christ will address today, anger. Next Sunday, lust, marriage, lying, justice, generosity, and love for enemies. Even hearing the list might convict you a little bit or cut into you some. It might step on your toes. You know, Jesus, could you just giving something simple. (laughs) Why do we have to address my anger issues? Uh, Why is that going to become an issue? And yet Jesus takes all of these commands, these things they've heard, parts of the law and says, here's what you were supposed to understand about that. Today, he says, you heard, do not murder. And where did you hear that? Yeah, that one's in the 10 commandments itself. You've heard, do not murder. You know this one. But then Jesus is going to tell us today what it means. And it will bring conviction to us. Each one of these will. But I have comfort for you in this. If it brings conviction to you, it also does to everybody else around you. These passages bring conviction on all of us. If it brings any comfort to you, these passages also bring conviction to me. I've been wrestling over these for years. And I come to it and I read these passages and realize I'm a sinner too. I haven't murdered anybody, but I have held on to my anger when I was supposed to let it go. Uh, this was one of the first things that I preached here at Talatha when I came as a pastor six years ago. So if you were around six years ago, you could. Va- it's, there's an outside possibility that you vaguely remember us going through this passage. But uh, I think we ought not ever get too far away from uh, the Lord's sermon here. I don't think we should ever get too far away from the Gospels. And so I think six years is enough, and it's time to come back to it. But I also remember, as this was the very first thing I came and preached here, not really knowing anyone yet, and each week going and opening up Scripture on Monday to see what I was going to be preaching this Sunday and going, Anger, I hope this goes over well. (laughs) I remember sweating every week. I mean, I was already sweating. You know, I don't have any trouble. I don't need any help sweating. But then also sweating with nervousness. All right, this week I've got to tell them, about the sin of lust. We're going to talk about divorce and remarriage this week and going, oh no, (laughs) we're going to see how long I remain pastor at this church if we keep going through the Lord's sermon here, the Sermon on the Mount. And here we are. Each one of these passages, Jesus says to the Pharisees who are gathered there, to religious leaders, to disciples who want to follow him and to you and I, You've heard don't murder, but I tell you, don't nurse secret anger in your heart against people, and this is going to bring conviction to all of us, and it's perfect that he starts off with anger, because you might have said it yourself at one point in life, or at least heard somebody else say it. When you ask, you know, do you realize you're a sinner? Do you know you need salvation? Somebody might say, well, I mean, I'm not that bad. Come on, let's be reasonable. I mean, I haven't murdered anyone. In the beginning of his sermon, Jesus says, you've heard, don't commit murder, but let me tell you the truth. That murder begins in hearts. And it's already there in your heart. And the only way to follow Christ rightly is to remove it. Let's pray together and let's read, starting in Matthew 21. Father God, teach us. Teach us so that we can obey you. And when we hear what you want for us today, help us not to harden our hearts or to find a way to justify our actions, but let us declare boldly, we are sinners, but we trust in you for salvation. When we hear your word today, give us the strength to follow you and obey. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, You fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him to court. Or your adversary will hand you over to the judge. The judge to the officer and you will be thrown in prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord for us today. He begins, as we've said, you've heard, it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. First, uh, a couple of things to help us understand this passage properly. Uh, When he talks about murder, he's not talking about the work of a soldier in defense of his country. That's not what's in play here. Uh, What a soldier has to do in battle is not murder as it's defined here, neither is self-defense or accidental harm. Murder means one thing here, and that is, I hate you, and I'm going to kill you. This is what murder is. I hate you and I'm going to do everything I can against you. What is condemned here is the sin of Cain against his brother Abel. Cain is jealous. Cain is angry. God speaks to him and says, don't do it. Don't do it, Cain. God speaks to him and says, sin is crouching at the door, but you have to overcome it. Rather than overcome it, Cain enjoys that anger and he enjoys the adrenaline boost of it and he nurses his hatred and he goes and kills his brother. And it's not just in the heart of Cain, we understand, but it's in the heart of all of us if we take an honest look at ourselves. Have you ever been angry? Have you ever been really angry at somebody? Have you ever wanted all kinds of evil things against them? I think if you're serious with yourself, then you know the darkness of our heart in this area. Another thing to talk about, you know, first what murder is or isn't. uh, But another one, this you fool language. Uh, He says here, uh, truly I tell you, oh, where is it? Um, Verse 22, whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Uh, Or raka, some Bible translations don't translate it, but say here's the word, this you fool, a good English translation, or the, uh, the Greek or the Hebrew raka. Uh, some people think that the word itself has meaning or to give you a really good illustration of that one. I was, uh, I remember being at like a youth camp when I was in middle school and I met some other guy there who's in my little group for the week from another church somewhere else. And, and it just happened to be that this passage came up and he said, no, no, here, I got you. Here's what you got to do. you you go to hell. You know, this is a big sin. Uh, if you say, if you call somebody a fool, so instead we're going to call them stooges and that's Okay. Because it's not right here. And like that was his middle school thinking was, you stooge. <laughs> and that's the one he used all week long was calling people that. And he, he had sorted out a new law for himself from here. So there's the goofy uh, illustration. But it's a perfect one because we do the same thing. Thinking, okay, I won't say that. But I'm still going to let him have it. And you've missed the point. If you're thinking, I didn't call anybody a fool. Oh, Oh, I told him, I gave him a piece of my mind. I let him know. I didn't call him a fool, so I'm all right. We do the same thing as this boy who decided God would, this is exactly what the Pharisees do, isn't it? (laughs) God gives them the law, and they say, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying, but here's some arithmetic in which I can do what I want and not have to worry about actually keeping the law. Christ says, murder is wrong, but murder starts in your hearts. So for us, what's the application? What behaviors are wrong? We know that murder is wrong. We don't need to dwell on it. But what else if it comes out of our heart? The wrong behavior would be this, nurturing hatred in your heart. Do you enjoy getting angry? I mean, is there a news program or a pundit show that you watch because it gets you a little hot It gets your blood boiling to not like somebody else or to hate somebody else. See, it gives us a feeling of control sometimes. You know, we can get a little extra adrenaline boost off some anger, and it can make you feel like you're more in control than you were otherwise. It can feel good for a minute to be angry and get heft up on it. But it's always wrong. The behavior, the very behavior that Christ is condemning here is nurturing that anger. We all get angry sometimes. The difference is, do you hold on to it? Do you enjoy it? Do you cherish it? Do you fantasize about it? Do you build it up in your heart? Or do you let it go and move on and instead think about Christ and what he did for those who were spewing hatred against him? So what behaviors are wrong? Nurturing hatred in your heart. What behaviors are wrong? Verbal assaults, name-calling, any of them, stooge, fool, or otherwise, all name-calling. There's no room for this in the life of a Christian. Rants and verbal assaults, there's no room for this in the life of a Christian. Finding ways to get even, even if indirect. A lot of us will spend some time thinking about a way to get even, to make sure they know they were wrong. Let's just call it passive aggressive behavior. This has no place in the Christian life. This sort of hatred or anger that we're finding ways to make okay. Well, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't do anything necessarily wrong about them. But I also acted in an awfully passive aggressive way hoping that they would fail and that my inaction would contribute to their failure so that I could rejoice to see them harmed. Cheering people cheering when other people around us get hurt or get their comeuppance. Speaking of Bonhoeffer in Germany, there's a good German word for this, schadenfreude. You familiar with that word? There's a good German word for everything, schadenfreude, this celebrating when you see someone else come to harm. And you know exactly what that is. We don't need a word for it. It's celebrating when you see people come to harm when you see something bad happen to somebody and be like, well, I told them, I knew it was going to happen. And you feel a little bit good that you were vindicated and they got what they deserved. Friends, there is no place for that in the heart of somebody who's been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to remove. You've heard it said, do not murder and don't but we can't nurture hatred in our hearts this becomes all the more clear if you're talking about marriage you know if the command is and we'll get to this in a week or two but if the command is uh, be faithful don't be unfaithful to your spouse do you think it'd be all right to spend all of your waking hours fantasizing about being unfaithful to your spouse is this good is this helpful so likewise with anger You can say, well, I didn't do them any harm, I didn't murder them, I didn't try to hurt them, I didn't yell at them, but would it be all right to spend all of your thinking about them, wanting bad for them, or thinking about hurting them? Our hearts are incorrect, and we must get rid of this. Uh, One time, when I was in elementary school, I wasn't great at team sports when I was in elementary school. Some of y'all got some kids who are like elementary school phenoms uh, at sports, and they are already, you know, in third or fourth grade better than I will ever be at baseball. Uh, but I remember going and playing, and I, I had to be real, real young. I must have been eight or nine years old. And I wasn't particularly paying attention to going, what was going on. And that wasn't just sports. That was everything. I wasn't good at paying attention. That wasn't my spiritual gift uh, at that point in life. I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't really know what was going on. And, uh, and so I hit the ball. I, I got a good hit. But I did what some young children do. I started running the bases backwards. All right? <laughs> Listen, I'm ashamed, all right? I repent. But uh, I started running the bases backwards. I didn't really understand what I had done wrong, all right? And there was a lot of yelling going on, but I had gotten a good hit, so I kind of expected it. And so all the more foolishly, young Jordan is going, yeah, <laughs> running the bases backwards. And, uh, and I get back over to the dugout to high-five some teammates, and my coach, who has been yelling at me the whole time, pushed me to the ground. Yeah, grown man. I, I'm, I don't know how old I am, seven, eight years old? Oh, yeah, it was, a, it was wrong. Yeah, and suddenly everybody is quiet, and oh, <gasps> was the sound. And uh, this outburst of anger from this coach. Uh, I didn't need to be taught, though, what anger was. I, I already It just comes with being alive. But one good thing from that coach was I did learn about repentance and reconciliation uh, because though that's never excusable. That's wrong. Sin. I do remember he was quick to call me at home that evening and just say, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. I, I let my anger get the best of me. You're a good kid. You know, stuff happens. It's not a big deal. I'm so sorry. And I learned about reconciliation from that coach who was also my Sunday school teacher, and another time in life, yeah. <laughs> I, I I preached at his funeral, and uh, some years ago, and I didn't share the baseball story, uh, but I did talk about how he had he had become a newer believer uh, around the time I was born. This grown man in his fifties, and uh, and I got to watch the grace of God work in his life. And I got to watch him grow. And I saw that he never did that again. He, uh, he repented and was, we were reconciled. And it ends up being a good story. But you also know what this anger is like. It's not unfamiliar to you. As I told you guys at the beginning, you know every single one of these passages, they are going to bring conviction to you if you're even remotely paying attention. And I also said, I have to live with this passage all week long because it brings conviction to me the whole week long because I get angry also. And Meredith sees it sometimes and knows this. I don't I don't get loud. I'm not a particularly ragey kind of a person, but I'll, sometimes we'll be driving and I'll remember something or think of something that just upsets me and I just not just clench my fist on the steering wheel, but I just clench up everything and go, Argh. and that's it. I'm not yelling. I'm not, you know, nothing crazy, but... Just for a second there, the mayor's like, what are you, what are you, what are you thinking about right now? What is happening? I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Rather, I need to let it go. I don't, need to, I don't want to nurse this, but for just a minute there, uh, the old nature of anger just, just wells up, just clench all up and get angry. It's possible that we nurse that, that you hang on to it, that you keep thinking about it, that you let it overwhelm you for a while, that you hope for bad for other people. I've done this. I'm a sinner. But let us repent together today. And let us together then remove hatred from our heart and not give it a footstep. Let's not hold on to it anymore. There will always be people who drive us crazy, and there will always be people who are evil. But we worship a Savior who, being hung on the cross, had a word to say about the people who were putting him on the cross. And what word was that? Forgive them. He prays to the Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. If you are going to follow Christ and he has called you to follow him today, then you will have to follow him in this as well. A certain prayer, forgive them. Forgive them, Father, forgive them. The second thing this passage teaches us is to be quick to be reconciled. It says, if you happen to remember these sorts of things when they come up while you're driving instead of getting furious and angry... You're going to have to be quick to reconciliation. The illustration that Jesus gives, he says, if you're bringing your sacrifice to the altar, you wouldn't think about like our church. You would rather think about the Jewish temple there where they're bringing whatever sacrifice that they're bringing to make themselves right with God. They're bringing these sacrifices under the law of Moses that are to teach them about a sacrifice needing to be made and how blood has to be shed for sin. And if they remember as they're coming to bring their sacrifice and go through the laws and rituals that are to point them towards being right with God and realize that they're unreconciled with their brother or sister and you can understand brother or sister here to mean biological Uh, brothers and sisters surely uh, over the years nobody else (laughs) gets the worst of us uh, at times, especially living in the same household and brothers or sisters but you'd also understand this to mean all friends, fellow believers the people around you if In going to offer your sacrifice, you realize that they have something against you, that you've done them wrong, that it was you who has been wrong. Don't even go and offer your sacrifice. Set it down. Go out and make peace. Make reconciliation is what he says. I might suggest for you the same thing. We don't bring offerings to sacrifice here, but we do come to worship. And I might say, as you're coming to church in the morning, While this is somewhat hyperbole what Jesus is saying, it's also absolutely true. Don't allow anything to keep you from coming to church on Sunday morning. Uh, (laughs) We have an enemy. Uh, The old nature, Satan, the world, and there's a conspiracy to keep us from getting together to worship God every Sunday morning, it seems like. Uh, And there's all sorts of things that try to get in our way from keeping us, making it, and don't let anything stop you from coming. But this is what you ought to think about. If you're on your way to worship God, if you're opening up your hymnal to sing praise to him, And you realize you've done wrong to somebody else? And before you even begin singing this worship song, you at least need to make a resolution in your heart. I will go and make this right. And you'll need to go find that person quickly if we're worshiping together and say, no justification, just I'm sorry. No explanation, just I'm sorry. Don't confuse reconciliation with convincing the other person that you're right. Frequently, when it comes to reconciliation, we think, "Uh, if they just understood me better, they'd know I'm right on this one. Uh, Or if I could just explain why I did that mean thing. Or that they were just, you know, I I was focused on something else. If they just understood that, don't confuse reconciliation with convincing the other person that you're right. If there's difficulty between two people, the answer is not for you to go and convince them that you were right. Likewise, don't convince reconciliation with agreeing with one another. There might be simply an issue that you don't agree about. You can still be reconciled. Agreement is not required on every issue. Many, some, yes, but not every Don't confuse reconciliation with liking one another or getting along easily. It's possible that you're just different kind of people and have a little bit different kind of personality, and sometimes it's it's just a little difficult. You don't have to change the other person to be reconciled to them, to apologize for your behavior. Don't confuse reconciliation with a homogenous culture. We're reconciled because we all generally dress the same way, act the same way, speak the same way, think the same way, vote the same way. No, no. That is not reconciliation. That's just a homogenous culture, which the church is never supposed to look like. The church is always supposed to look like every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Don't confuse reconciliation with any of these things but rather understand that reconciliation is making peace, making room for others, and learning to value others. Reconciliation has a cost, too. Christ reconciled us to God. At what cost? There may well be a cost for you, too, to bring reconciliation with somebody else. Perhaps just your pride. That should be a quick and easy decision for you. Sell it. Let your pride go. There may be other costs involved as well. But for you, within your family, within your extended family, with your church friends, with your neighbors, make reconciliation because Christ did this for us. How valuable is having a friend who is just like you? It's actually pretty valuable. It's really nice to have a friend who is just like you, who totally gets you, who you think I can call them, and they're going to laugh at the exact same moment in this story that I laugh in this moment. They're probably watching the same show that I am watching. How valuable is it to have a friend just like you? Extremely. How valuable is it to have a friend that is different from you? Extremely valuable. So church... Why these people? Why these ones around you? I mean, did you did you gather today because all these people are just like you? Shall we start practicing church discipline on people who simply think differently than we do or vote differently than we do and not make room for them but push them out? Start voting them off the island because they're a little different? Or shall we recognize the thing that brings us together today is that Christ has given his life for all of us, has loved us dearly, and we are here by the blood of the Lamb. And if we have that in common, that is everything. Christ is knitting together for himself a people of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group, and we shall rejoice to be a part of it. And if we're a part of it, then we will reflect it as a congregation. We will create reconciliation. So, to conclude for you today, this passage that steps on all of our toes. If you recognize that you've had anger in your heart or you've been unwilling to create reconciliation, what can you do today? I have a couple of things for you. Here's what you can do. Number one, a simple prayer. Lord, forgive them. Are you choked up with anger? Is there a person in your life who you can't think about without your blood pressure elevating? A simple prayer for you when that blood pressure starts going up. Lord, forgive them. Lord, let them know your love. Lord, draw them ever closer to you. We start praying for the benefit of other people. It changes our hearts and aligns our heart with the heart of God. Who don't you like? Who do you despise? Who do you not get along with? Who has hurt you, Lord? Let them come to know your grace and your love. Let them come to know your forgiveness like I have. Let them come to know the power of the Holy Spirit to reform their hearts and change them. Let them come to repentance. Let them come to know how good it is to call Jesus Christ Lord. What should we do? Another prayer here. When you find yourselves in the throes of anger, when you're pretty hot, here's a prayer for you. Your blood pressure's up and your heart's pounding when you're just clenched up. The prayer is this, Lord, I don't want to be like this. Lord, help me to put away this old person who I used to be. I don't want to be this person anymore. This is a simple prayer for us to call out for the strength of the Lord. And God has promised that he answers this prayer. He gives us the Holy Spirit when we believe to give us the strength that we don't have in ourselves in order to do better. And likewise, if Jesus says... If any of you lacks wisdom, or James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask, and God will provide. Then surely also, if your call is to ask for strength and help to do what's right, God's not cheering against you. He's cheering for you. And the Holy Spirit is not with you for conviction, but to build you up and encourage you towards Christ. So a simple prayer for you, Lord, I don't want to be like this. Help me to change. Help me to let this go. How many be like you? I think you'll find a lot of mileage out of using these two prayers. What should you do today? Switch from fantasizing evil about people and fantasizing the, them getting their comeuppance to instead imagining good for them. Imagine that person. Who you so don't get along with, they've been so angry. Imagine the day when they repent. Imagine a day when you see them just bawling and blubbering at the foot of the cross, coming forward and reaching out and repenting. Instead, imagine the day when they, they grow in maturity. Imagine the day when they can say, What a fool I was. And leave that behind and instead follow Christ rightly. What are we going to do today? Remember that you too are a sinner who has been forgiven. We remember ourselves rightly. It helps us to judge others rightly. And what are we going to do today? When it comes to making reconciliation, when it's on you, let us apologize. Do this in response and obedience to the word of the Lord today. Apologize. Admit you were wrong without trying to justify yourself. Without trying to say, well, I mean, but I wasn't that wrong. If you just understood, let me tell you, let me explain to you. No need. I'm sorry. I was wrong. The anatomy of apology. Here's the really simple one. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm not going to do that again. There you go. The magic words. It's that simple. These are the things that we do. In conclusion, we stand today, all of us convicted and condemned by the word of God. So we are perfectly primed today to hear the call of our Lord and Savior when he says, your sins are forgiven. Come, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And moreover, that Jesus is saying to you today, come, follow me. It's possible that you think you've sunk in too deep today to have reconciliation. It's possible that you think you're too bad a sinner to be reconciled to Christ. You're not. The grace of God is greater than your sins, and the love of God is greater than what you've done wrong. Go to Christ today. Bear your sins boldly before him and say, Jesus, I am a sinner, but please forgive me. It's possible that you think you've sunk in too deep to be reconciled with a friend or family member today. To be sure, as this passage teaches, you shouldn't delay because the longer you delay, the harder it gets. But it is not too hard for the power of God to bring about reconciliation between you and a brother and sister. Today is the day for you to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm not going to do it again. And in this way, let us be called followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you so much that you've been so gracious to us. Thank you that you've been so patient with us, that you've waited this long to allow us to have an opportunity to do right. Give us the strength to receive any of your words that convict us as a blessing. Give us the strength to then obey. Give us the strength to change. Give us the strength to believe. Jesus, we're here to follow you. Give us the strength. To be changed into the image of you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as I pray in Jesus' name, amen.